We have a new podcast over on Blue Wire. Abner Mares is a worldwide champion boxer, Olympian sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. Um, he's going to talk about things like the state of boxing, his journey from a kid on the streets to the boxing champ. Uh, definitely check it out. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcasts. Blue Wire. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it for the win. Dunks and Discourse, episode 53, the Mark Eaton edition. Um, all of you Lakers haters will be happy to know that Jabari is not going to be on this podcast just rolling around in his filth celebrating this Lakers title. Uh, we got that one out of the way. Instead, I'm joined by a longtime friend, um, Sam Quinn, at Sam Quinn2NCBS on Twitter. You probably know him. He's, uh, he's one of the favorites for people to get mad at for fake trade ideas these days. Quinn, how's it going, man? You know, Josh, I've done a lot of podcasts. I've never gotten a Mark Eaton reference in the first minute. So kudos to you on that. You know, we, we, we keep it fresh here. We keep it old, but we keep it fresh. Um, and it, it's funny because, like, there, there's this, I don't know, friendliness or this camaraderie with a lot of guys who work in the business and who have been around the sport. But, like, when I say longtime friend, how when, when did you get on PSD? Yeah. I was a lurker. You know what? I can admit some things on here that I wouldn't have before. I was banned from PSD a couple times. I'm a dupe to any of the mods that are listening out there. No, My no first way. account was, uh, God, I got to say 2005, 2006. Um, I think we probably met each other on there maybe a couple years after that. I did. We, um, we did a bunch of the mocks on the forum there. We've known each other for a while. Uh, but yeah, Quinsanity is my I think my third or fourth account on there. I've been on there for over a decade, but no, no way, like, man. Yeah, I you mean, were... I don't. Do you remember Hot Potato Two Two Three Four? I don't know if I do, but that that's hilarious, man. That's... Yeah, I was there in the OG days. Like, I think my first like real experience on there, I want to say, is the NFL Draft, like two thousand five, two thousand six. Like that's around when I started. When I was like, I don't know, thirteen, fourteen years old. <laughs> Dude, that, that's what it was. And um, people who were like, what the hell are these guys talking about? There was a site, Pro Sports Daily. And it was like pre-Twitter. Um, it, it was like the spot to talk about sports. And I don't know how it compared like in size and scope to Real GM. I think Real GM was probably bigger. But I but that's exactly it, man. I think I joined like 08, 09. And, uh, you know, I, I had like, you know, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 posts on there. And it was all like, who's better at basketball, A or B? And would you trade this? All the stuff that NBA Twitter is famous for is really just the next um, link in the chain or progression from what the NBA forums used to be. Well, it's kind of funny that you mentioned, like, you had, like, 30,000, 40,000 posts. The funny thing is, like, on Twitter, you're sort of judged by how many followers you have. On PSD, it was how often you posted. So, like, if somebody said 20,000 things throughout their time on the site, yeah. they were somebody to be respected, even if all 20,000 of them were stupid. It's, it's, 
it's interesting that it, cha- it, it it did sort of change. It was like who can spew the most, the fastest, versus uh, how many people want to listen to that spew, which I guess is like sort of a slight upgrade for for NBA Twitter plus one for them. I mean, it, they both have their pros and cons. I mean, the thing that, that I really disliked about PSD it was kind of the ultimate like. If you say one thing that people disagree with, they're they're gonna pile on like crazy, and it's just you're gonna you can totally derail a conversation. Like I'm not on there very often anymore, but there's a thread going on there. Is Kobe better than LeBron? It's like 400 pages long now, and every oh. now and then I'll check in and I'll see a post <laughs> getting replied to on page 402 that started on like page 17. And and man, that's that's why this title. That's why I was saying on the timeline. This title is for LeBron fans, and we'll share some of that with the Lakers fans. Because I, I, the real Lakers fans are Kobe's fans, and they're not all the way in on the LeBron title. And all the LeBron fans aren't in on the Lakers. So, you know, it's a partnership, but it is not a happy family in there. Well, you know, I was thinking about this after LeBron wins his first title. It's something that I've kind of thought a little bit since he signed with the Lakers. Was there a part of him that's thinking... I can't just win more championships. I have to kind of grow my base. I have to grow my constituency. If I do it in L.A., the Lakers fans, there are so many of them that, you know, now they'll start to think I'm the GOAT because I want it for them. And I kind of posed that on Twitter, and, like, a lot of people agreed, but then there were the Laker fans who were like, no, we're still here trying to talk about LeBron and Jordan versus Kobe. And I'm like, really? That's still something you guys want to go at, huh? You, you know what? I... I, I love you. You know, I, we, I think it is because we have the same forum roots, but, like, I think in a lot of ways we view the game similarly. And we both, like, when you put something out, I very much know that you just want to have a conversation all the time. Like, I, I think people feel like the second that you throw something on the timeline, you're not just you, but, like, in general, you're trying to stir shit or, you know, you're, you're, you're hinting that it's one way or another way. But I know that, like, when you're posting some of these things, you're just thinking out loud. And it's hilarious because... I'm not saying your conspiracy theory is that out there. Like, we know LeBron's calculated. It's possible. But that tweet got shared in a few DM groups for me of people being like, man, this guy's always trolling Kobe fans. Like, this this guy is always out to, you know, boost LeBron. I'm like, I think he's just talking, man. Like, it's funny how upset people get about, like, the most, like, innocent just came across my mind. Who else is chewing on this type of things? What I've kind of realized, this is my first year at CBS, so it's like my first year with like a real platform, is a lot of what I say on Twitter would play a lot better if it were 280 words as opposed to 280 characters. So what I end up having to do a lot is having to put out put out fires in the replies, but nobody's looking in the replies. They're seeing the, the first No. Tweet. So, you know, you're kind of killing yourself there if you're trying to say something somewhat nuanced or start a conversation just by putting something out there on Twitter. I mean, 99% of the time, you're right. I am just trying to start a conversation. The one topic that I will outright troll is Russell Westbrook. That's the one where I'm just like, at this point, I'm all in. I'm just, I'm, I'm against this, and I don't think I'm ever going to get proven wrong. So you know what? Come at me, Houston fans. Well, I, I had your, I saw your uh, reply to Kendrick Perkins today, so we'll get there. Um, <laughs> like, Russ is that guy, though, for a lot of people, I feel like. With the way that he gives it back to the media, with his like inability to change his style, with the exception of 30 games in Houston, um, I think a lot of people who cover the game get frustrated with the, I don't know, the attitude given the adaptability. And uh, yeah, you're not alone there, for sure. Um, 
So today, I guess yesterday, I think now, um, Brian Windhorst breaks the news that the Mavs are going to be at the front of the line for Giannis's, you know, free agency in 2021. Um, this is something I was hinting at like a year ago, that like Luca and Giannis were going to have that international connection. He's going to look at another young star that he has a future with beyond the next two, three years. And, you know, I'm a Mavs fan, so there's the bias in there for sure. But I've, I've long thought Dallas made a lot of sense in the Giannis hunt. Uh, where where are you at Gian- on Giannis leaving? Do you think it's happening? Who do you think the front runner is? So I did power rankings on Giannis destinations right after they lost. So like I guess six weeks ago or so now, Milwaukee's number one just because incumbency is really powerful. But number two by a pretty comfortable margin for me was Dallas. Right? Like I we hear the Miami stuff, we hear the Golden State stuff, we hear the Toronto stuff. There are flaws with all those teams. Right, like if you look at Miami, sure, yeah. as good as they were on this finals run, a they were probably outperforming expectations a bit, like just realistically given where they were in the regular season, and b neither Jimmy or Bam can shoot. So if you have Jimmy, Bam, and Giannis, like I guess Hero and Robinson are the perfect guys around that trio, but come on, the spacing is going to be pretty wonky. Look at Toronto. Toronto has the same problems that Giannis has, right? Like Giannis couldn't score late in playoff games. The Raptors couldn't score late in playoff games. Maybe they could overwhelm people with talent, but that's not an ideal fit. And the Warriors, I don't know how they get him. Like, they can't make the cap space. The Lakers, they can't make the cap space either. There are flaws with almost all of these teams. Now, I wouldn't rule any of them out because we don't know what Giannis wants. But if you want to find the clean, perfect destination, it's Dallas, right? Like, Luka can be that end-of-game closer for them. They have a center in Chris Porzingis that can really shoot, space the floor for him. They need a defensive anchor. I mean, I think KP was great on defense this year, frankly. I mean, at least as a rim protector, Giannis can cover for his perimeter deficiencies. Like, that trio on paper, if they're healthy, it's about as perfect as you get as you can get with any superstar trio, right? Like, all three of them have, like, between the three of them, they have every elite skill. So yeah. if I were him and I were leaving Milwaukee, it would be for Dallas. I like, and I, I really, I walked through it a million times over the last year and a half, and I, I keep looking at at Luca and Giannis, and you think about, you know, just the age range, how they would complement each other. It feels like there's a fit there, and even poor, you look at what Brook Lopez does and what he does, and how celebrated he was in that role. I think Kristaps Porzingis has the ability to do that and more. Of course, they're going to need some wings. Of course, they're going to need some spacing. But if you have those three guys, you'd think, you know, you could probably figure some other things out. Um, do you not feel like a, a year ago I was thinking that this was, a, this was a possibility, but I was really getting no vibes whatsoever? And I mean, you're the same way. Like every time Giannis says anything, I view it over. Anytime anything, there's a Giannis quote on the athletic anywhere, I look at it. And I have seen nothing until this year that led me to believe that he wanted to leave. And then he's been sort of, he's been sort of ominous the last few months. And how much do you feel like the tone has changed? It has a little bit, and unfollowing the teammates and the meeting with ownership, like, that struck me as a little weird and a little bit off from the vibe that we'd gotten from him all along. Like, Giannis is the guy that doesn't work out with superstars because he wants to beat them. Like, there was really this sentiment that, like, no matter what, this guy was different. And it's kind of starting to trend a little bit in the direction of, no, he's just a star. Like, he's like everybody else. I don't know what I ultimately believe. I think if you put a gun to my head right now, I would say 50% Milwaukee, 50% the field. But I think more than anything, the tonal shift probably signals a message to Milwaukee ownership that like, 
guys, you're not going to like stumble into an extension here. Like if you sit on your laurels and say, we're going to be a 60 win team next year and that should be enough. No, it's not. If they lose in the second round again next year, like I would expect him to leave personally. If they make it to the finals and lose, that's one thing. But like they cannot have what happened this year and last year happen again. I think his message to them through all of these things is, number one, you'd better pay the luxury tax. I don't know what form that's going to take. I don't know if that means a blockbuster trade or like more aggressive moves in free agency or what. You'd better pay the tax. You'd better prove to me that you're willing to pay the tax. And B, if we have an opportunity for a big trade and Chris Paul's the one that we're always going to hear about, like I don't expect you to sit on the sidelines because I, I think about this a lot in terms of roster building where you don't win a championship by accident, right? Like if you look at the teams that win championships, like Golden State, they went aggressive and they got Kevin Durant and they planned that out. They didn't say we're good enough at 73. You know, the Lakers, they were really aggressive. They went out and they got AD. LeBron like built that team out of thin air essentially. Phone I just calls, tears, remember. whatever it took, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I just I look at the teams that actually win championships, and ultimately the place you keep coming back to is they all made bold moves. They all like went for it, and the Bucks haven't done that yet. Well, and uh, I mean, Malcolm Brogdon is Malcolm. Do you think the events of the, this postseason are different if Malcolm Brogdon is a Buck? That's if really tough. If they hadn't decided, you know, that Brogdon was going to cost too much, they were going to let him go, that they were going to recoup what they could for him in the signing trade, do you feel like if Malcolm Brogdon, who I think shot like 37% from three in the playoffs, but did average a boatload of assists, did his playmaking and shot making change things enough that you feel like Milwaukee was at least in the finals? Well, I mean, the thing that I keep coming back to when I think about the Brogdon move is, he was significantly better in Indiana than I think he was in, in Milwaukee, right? Like, he was, especially earlier in the year, like, he was a real closer for them. And they were running a billion pick and rolls with him and Sabonis. And I sort of wonder, like, would the Bucks have been willing to have been that aggressive with him down the stretch? I'm not convinced. Like, Brogdon, he was maybe their second best player in the Toronto series last year, but they lost, right? They lost with Brogdon. I think the Raptors were a better team than the Heat were. I mean, the 2019 Raptors, to be clear. But if you look at that Heat series, like, game two was really close. I think game one kind of got away from him at the end. You know, I think it would have been a tougher series against Miami. I think that would have gone six or seven if Giannis stays healthy. Ultimately, though, like, I think we're with we're at the same place with Giannis that we were with LeBron in, like, 2008, 2009, where, like, yeah, the team is not good enough. Like, that, let's make that perfectly clear. But they're also missing something, right? And we saw that in the Dallas series where LeBron is getting switched onto J.J. Barea and he's not posting him up. And you're just kind of thinking, you know, what the hell's going on? Giannis, I think, has some very clear weaknesses, obviously, with the shooting, even in the mid-range area, right? Like, he's not really making anything besides his token three or two per game and then all of the drives. I think that's the sort of weakness that was going to rear its ugly head at some point or another, whether it was against Miami, whether it was against the Celtics, or if they'd made the finals, I think they would have lost pretty badly to the Lakers. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think they would have too, but I want to get to Giannis and AD, a bit of that conversation in a second. But I look at Giannis, I think about Lillard a few years ago, and I don't know what you heard. And Lillard, Lillard has a lot of friends in the media because – I heard, and I am I'm way down the pyramid of, of people who hear things, I heard many things from he was extremely unhappy, that Paul Allen literally talked him out of publicly requesting a trade, 
that he wanted to be a Laker, that he was very close to getting traded to Cavaliers. I have heard all sorts of little interesting nuggets that can never, that have never been confirmed or denied by the big media guys. And I think that, in part, that's because everybody likes Dame and, and Dame doesn't share with a lot of those dudes. And I know him and Haynes have a relationship. So maybe that's why things have stayed where they are. But when Giannis wanted the ownership meeting, I couldn't help but think that like we probably reached a similar point behind closed doors in Milwaukee. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, the Dame thing is interesting because he has this real image of, like, Mr. Loyalty when I think we all kind of know to an extent that there's a little bit more to it than that. Like, I think there are a lot of pivot points throughout the Portland era where, like, if maybe things had broken a little bit further, he wouldn't be a Blazer right now. I don't think Dame is really the guy that he's portrayed as in the sense that, like, I think if they, they're in the lottery next year, I think that a trade starts to become more realistic. And I think it'll get framed in the same way that, you know, the Westbrook trade was, where it's like, oh, we want to thank him for his years of service, sure. so we're going to send him to a contender. Well, like, no, I, I kind of think this was something that was sort of bubbling for a little bit longer. Or maybe but, previously agreed at on a right, prior like, meeting. Yeah. He signed that huge contract. But I think it's he's under contract for six more years now, five, something like that. I think the Blazers kind of recognize that if we're not where we need to be at at this point, having him for five or six more years as a first-round exit or as a lottery team doesn't really make sense for any of us, especially during a team sale. So I don't know. Like, I, I think I'm with you that there's probably more to the Dame situation than meets the eye. Giannis well, is still still so young that I just I don't want to I don't want to make any, say anything definitive, right? Because like he hasn't even. He's he's in a second contract right now, like he's we're, only we're, had. Two we're per, real... we're predicting one hundred percent. Yes, we're 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 just speculating here. Like he's had two major playoff runs, right? Like this isn't Lillard who's been making the playoffs for seven years. Um, like Giannis, this might just be the young the stage where stars are where they can't win yet. Like LeBron had that stage, Jordan had that stage. You know, Kobe airballed those shots against Utah. Like you go down the list. Very, very few guys get it right away. Like, I guess Magic Johnson did. You can kind of sure. argue Curry did, but I, that's another story. Like, there are very, very few guys that, like, they get to the playoffs and they just get it. I think it takes a couple of losses with most guys. And I've tried not to blame Giannis much for that. And you mentioned the AD Giannis conversation. I still think Giannis is better. Like, I think what he did in Milwaukee, I don't think Anthony Davis could have done. I don't think Anthony Davis ever had the caliber of team that Giannis does now. But, like, Giannis was the only, like, quote-unquote megastar on that team, and they were the best team in the NBA for the regular season. AD never came close to that in New Orleans. So I, I sort of wonder what you think about this. It's something I've been kind of mulling. If you switch their teams, I think the AD Bucks are pretty easy to read. Like, that's a 50-55 win team. That's AD and a bunch of shooters. Probably more pick-and-roll from Bledsoe. Like, that's pretty easy to put together. What do you think a LeBron and Giannis team would look like? Because my suspicion is... They wouldn't be playing another center. It would be just more shooting, and it would be a billion LeBron Giannis pick and, roll, pick and rolls. Frank Vogel still would have found a way to play JaVale McGee through right. three rounds, no doubt. Um, you know, I, po- I posted this this exact poll at some point in the playoffs, saying, like, if you swap them, you know, who gets better, who gets worse? And I think the leading vote getter was that both got worse, and I kind of – that's kind of where I'm at on it. And, like, I ate some crow on AD. Going to the playoffs, I would have said that Giannis is a substantially – better player than Anthony Davis. I think he's still a better player. I think if we if we talk we're talking in the traditional sense 
um, as you and I often have when we play these games and you're starting from scrap, um, I think you can build a more successful team around Giannis from the ground up. But I think at the same time, Anthony Davis definitely proved that like being a willing shooter and having a fluid stroke and you know being able to play, be the hammer um, rather than the arm worked better for the Lakers. And I don't know if the, the, the combined hammers of LeBron and Giannis drive after drive coming down trying to beat you that way would have been as effective as what AD was able to do. Although, who could have who could have guessed that AD was going to shoot the way that he shot? Well, right. Like, I think this is sort of getting lost, that people are looking at what AD did in the playoffs as a natural extension of who he was as a player, when it absolutely was not. Anthony Davis shot 35% on mid-range shots during regular season. That's where he's been the last few regular seasons. And then he jumps up to 50 in the playoffs. Like, there's a lot of noise in that. Like, I'm sorry, Anthony Davis is not a better mid-range shooter than Kobe Bryant. But the stats of these playoffs suggested that he was. Kobe's never shot 50% from mid-range in the playoffs. Like, those are Kevin Durant numbers. And I'm sorry, Anthony Davis is not Kevin Durant as a shooter. I think he's better than the 35% that he showed in the regular season. Like, the thing that – this was the first year that I ever watched Anthony Davis night in, night out because covering the Lakers is a big part of my job. You'd notice this in the regular season, and you notice it in different ways in the playoffs. His balance is awful. He's on the ground a lot, like more than maybe any other superstar. In the regular season, you would notice just like, why is he fading away when he's got nobody within four feet of him? Like he just he has weird balance to his shot, like in the way that I think didn't really affect him as much in the playoffs. And maybe the bubble was a part of it too, but I don't know. I just I don't view what Anthony Davis did in the context of the playoffs as super sustainable. I think next year. He could be just as good, but shoot 43% in the mid-range, which is something more realistic. And if that's who he is, and that's what I think he is, I mean, Giannis with LeBron, it would be different, right? Like, Giannis is not taking those jumpers. But I think if you had the right guys around it, it could be equally terrifying, right? Like, LeBron is quietly, I think, a better off-ball player than he gets credit for now that he's extended his range so far out that he's like a 35% shooter from basically anywhere on the floor, um, if you put enough shooting around those guys and you ran a billion pick and rolls, I think it could work. But I'm not as convinced that AD with the Bucks is like the 60 win juggernaut that the Bucks actually were. Yeah, and I mean, fair enough. I I, I looked this up at the start of the playoffs. Um, of everyone in the playoffs, I think it was. I'm, I'm re- repeating this off the top of my head, so don't kill me if I get it wrong. But I think it was three pull up attempts, pull up attempts a game. Anthony Davis was like second from last. Of, of like 32 or 33 guys who qualified. And then in the playoffs, he ends up hitting pull-up jumpers at a better rate than Kawhi Leonard, which just... <laughs> I mean, That's again, right. it's how you can't account for it. And I think, you know, to your point about is this... You, you, the public considering this like a jump in his game or where he's at now, I think that's going to be a huge thing this next however long we have until next season. Was bubble play real? It has it's got to be one of the more interesting, you know, aspects going to the next season. Are these jumps real and sustainable from guys who worked over the time and and have added to their games, or are these blips in a one-off situation that aren't going to hold up when we have fans and we get back to a regular eighty-two? And I mean, if you could promise me Davis could shoot like this for the rest of his career, that does make the AD honest comparison a little bit more interesting. If AD shoots like this for the rest of his career, he's a top ten player of all time. Like, that's, I think, where we're at. If he's 50% from mid-range, 
I don't know where he was in the playoffs on three, like high 30s, probably somewhere in that neighborhood. If he's yeah. that, and also maybe the best defensive player in the league, obviously, like by a wide margin, the best lob finisher in the league, a solid enough post-up guy. Like if he's all of those things, now we're starting to talk about like Tim Duncan, Hakeem Olajuwon, Shaq. Like I don't think AD is at that, that level. He's not yet, but but to your point, I mean, he did shoot 38% from three in the playoffs. And again, like, just saying the three-point shooting doesn't even do it justice anymore. These were on step-back threes. These were four feet behind the line. These were, you know, with the hand in his face. These weren't all easy spot-up threes that he put up. And, yeah, I think, like, his game definitely took a huge jump. Heading into next season, I mean, since we're kind of farting around with this, you know, where, where would you put him in your top ten? So I have LeBron number one with a bullet. Like, that's set i don't think anybody's gonna argue that i have a tier of four that i'm kind of trying to place right now in some order it's stephen curry ad Giannis, Kawhi. if i had to place them right now and i Katie, this is Katie's very not in that well i'll get to Katie in Achilles? a second yeah i'll get i'll get there in a second i would probably say Kawhi, curry Giannis, ad in that order but i'm that is very subject to change and we'll address that closer to the season. After that, so there's a point, right, where KD might be the best player in the NBA. Like, if you get Kevin Durant from, you know, early last year's playoffs, you might have the best player in the NBA. You might have somebody who's better than LeBron. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account anytime, and there are no longer long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With a 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with our free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. That upside is worth it at a certain point, but you're also risking, like, maybe he just barely plays next year, or maybe he's 60% of what he was. It's very difficult for me to sit and place, you know, where I'd find that risk. And I think the point is... We have those first five guys. Luca would be six. Harden would be seven. And that is the point where I would stick KD in and I would say, there's a chance that he's better than everybody in front of him, but he's, there's a chance he's worse than a lot of guys behind him. This is where the risk and the reward meet for me. So I would say KD would be, if you wanted to say instead of best player, like if I were starting a franchise next year and the goal was to win next year's, franchise, next year's yeah. championship, Kevin Durant would be the eighth player I would choose. That is, I think, where I land with it. And then after that, you have a class of, like, five more guys where it's Dame, Jokic, Jimmy, Joel Embiid, maybe Jason Tatum, where, like, that's kind of the guys – those are the guys fighting for the back end of the top ten, where I would take Durant over any of them just based on upside, but, like, they're they're pretty close. Taking away nothing from LeBron, and I'm not upset with him at number one, I I mean, like, where – with what happened – 
You can. I was ready to make the case for Kawhi Leonard going into this postseason. I really was. And I'm I a LeBron say- guy. But it just, it, I mean, didn't play out that way. So LeBron keeps one. If Kevin Durant comes back as the same guy he was when he went out next season, I'm, I'm very comfortable saying he's the best player in the NBA. Because, you know, as great as LeBron was, he's not in his prime anymore. He's going to be 36 years old in December. We don't know when next season is starting. If you're telling me that that is the KD that I get, I'm, I'm pretty confident saying he's number one right now. But so, that being said, you know, I, I like that hypothetical. I think i got to post that to the timeline. Like, what, where does KD go on the list if you have to win next year? No one has ever had this much time off after an Achilles. Like, heading in, had he played in the bubble, I think he was 120 days longer than anyone else had ever had coming off an Achilles. So I, I don't even, I almost wonder if, like, that rust is a negative factor at this point. But, yeah, I mean, it's a total guessing game. It's an absolute guessing game. So as far as LeBron goes, I think that's pretty interesting. Something that I've sort of realized, especially the last two years, kind of watching him day in, day out, is I would agree he is past his prime, but I think he changes his game so much over the years that I don't know how much that really means. Because if we were to say what is LeBron's prime, we would probably say 2013, right? Like that is the point at which his athleticism, his IQ, his skill level, like, I guess they were cumulatively the highest. I I don't know. But, you know, 2018, he was, in the 2018 playoffs, he was better than he was in the 2013 playoffs. Yeah, I was going to say, like... He was better for different reasons. His his IQ peaked, I think, in in 2018. I don't want to say peaked. That is, is, you know, insinuates he hasn't learned anything. But offensively, LeBron was the best he's ever been in the 2018 playoffs. Um, as like a super LeBron fan, I feel I say that pretty confidently. What he did for Miami and how he was athletically in 2013, you might argue that he was a better overall player, but he hadn't mastered the game in the same way. And you can tell by the way that he controlled the pace in 18 versus you know 13. You look at the playoffs; that's not close. Um, but I I don't think that like LeBron physically is is I don't want to say a shell of himself, but he's not the same guy. And you saw it at times over even this run where they were so successful, where he wasn't willing to switch, where when he did switch, he was, you know, dead-footed, flat-footed, couldn't couldn't follow the basket. I just think, like, what he's given up defensively is, is notable. Well, how do you how good do you think he was defensively? Because I didn't have him on my all-defense picks. Definitely but I thought not about it. Defense. Like, I thought about no. it for a little while. It was not – I ultimately was never going to put him on there, but – he was a solid, like, throughout the year, a solid BB plus on defense. And then in the playoffs, he got better. So I think even the, if he's the not... Late, you know, to Frank Vogel's credit, I think they put him in a position to exceed with smaller guards who could take on faster assignments. And, and I, I think he was a successful defender this year and probably had the best defensive season he had since Miami. I wouldn't have even had him on my all NBA, all de- or sorry, my all defense radar. I don't think he was in that conversation. I, I think in the playoffs we saw that, but again, like the defensive conversation is so hit or miss, and people just stick with their preconceived notions all the time. It, it it's really I mean tired to talk about on the timeline. Well, I'll say two things on this front. First of all, just going to Durant, he had a run with Golden State where like he was one of the best rim protectors in the NBA and was like a legitimate all defense candidate. But that's not the baseline, right? Like, I don't think any of us would sit here and say, like, Kevin Durant is an all-defense caliber player in the way that, like, Bam Adebayo is or Kawhi Leonard is or Anthony Davis. Sure, no. There is a a meaningful drop where Kevin Durant is not on that level. Also, just as far as LeBron goes, 
you're right that there is a difference physically. I do sort of wonder, like, how far could he go in optimizing his game? And 2018, I think, was the peak on this front. But this year, I mean, especially in the playoffs, outside of, you know, a couple of crunch time moments where that was what was available, he really wasn't taking that many mid-range shots. Like, he was kind of inching his game more and more in the hardened model of just threes, layups, dunks, and free throws. I wonder how optimized he can get where he's obviously losing something physically, but he's making up for it through. It's not IQ in the sense that he's always had a super high IQ, but I think he's also sort of acted more like a star for lack of a better explanation, where he's allowed himself certain shots that normal players wouldn't get. Whereas now I think he's starting to be a lot more thoughtful. And I think, so the way I described it during the finals was it was the best series I'd ever seen from a superstar who had the attitude, I'm going to take what the defense gives me, right? Like if you watch, there were very few moments outside of fourth quarters and a couple of other runs where he went in thinking like, I have to take over. His points were kind of coming in like bits and pieces where like, okay, whole, oh, here's a transition whole bubble. dunk here. The whole bubble. Right. You're, you're 100% the whole bubble. And it was, it worried me because to your point, there were so many times earlier on in the bubble, like the exhibition games or regular season games, quote unquote, and uh, that Portland series initially where I was like, I haven't seen him just burst. I haven't seen LeBron burst five straight possessions and own the game. And it, But he tinkers and, and he tinkers his game. And I, I think, again, like he did to your point, and I'm saying that way too many times tonight. You're right. He really did just he kind of melded into what was there. Well, he and I was concerned about those same things. And I wrote this, I think, maybe during the Houston series, maybe during the Denver series. He wasn't playing nearly as many minutes. Right, like the most minutes he played in the playoffs, I think it was like 41, and it was game one of the Portland series for a lot of the time. That isn't in the top 150 of his minutes played in the playoffs. I think he ended up with a game at like 135 on his minutes list, and you just start thinking like he needs more rest, and that obviously materializes in terms of minutes on the bench, but I think it also materializes in terms of what he's doing on the floor and that he's not running every single possession in the way that he used to. But then... You know, we have game five of the Denver series where he totally takes over down the stretch. And there were three or four stretches in the Miami series where you're just like, okay, this is LeBron again. He can do whatever he wants. I think that's still in there, just having just seen that. And if he can do that along with everything else that he's doing, I think he's still got to be the best player, even over a fully healthy Durant. Because Durant is just never going to control the entire tenor of a game in the way that he does. I, I didn't think ever in my life I would be the one arguing for KD over LeBron. I really didn't, so that's the first. But I felt like in this postseason, and again, is it a blip? It, it became more than ever, more than any other postseason I ever watched, who can get the shot they want. And man, Kevin Durant will never, ever, you know, pending health, have to take what the defense gives him due to his size and jumper. And I, I just feel like. With the explosions we saw from Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray and so many guys just getting their numbers up, I feel like Kevin Durant is the ultimate I can pick any spot I want and score guy. And if he has the, de- this is why the Kyrie pairing bugs me because if he just has the ball and he has the defensive guys around him, I think he's going to be in a position to do some crazy great things in Brooklyn. But I, but I almost feel like him and Kyrie's counterproductive. Oh, I, I very much agree with that. And the point that I want to take that to is. You know, remember when Kyrie was in Cleveland, there was that story of, like, somebody telling him, hey, like, you know, you got to pass on this play. And Kyrie points to LeBron, and he's like, that's what that guy's for? 
I sort of wonder, is the version of Kevin Durant that Brooklyn needs most, the one who's like doing what you're saying and taking whatever shots he wants and scoring 35 points, or do they need him to be something closer to like, I don't want to say LeBron because he's not LeBron, but something closer to a point forward. And he is a very skilled passer when he wants to be, which is, sure. let's say that happens intermittently. Like we, we've never seen it over the course of a full season. But there was that stretch when Westbrook was out in Oklahoma City where he did it. There was a stretch when Curry was out where he did it. Like, we've seen it for bits and pieces. I think the version of Durant that makes the Nets the best possible team is the one that's averaging, like, a super efficient 26, but with eight assists and seven rebounds or something like that. But do we think that's what he's going to be? I'm not sure. Like, if you honestly ask me, I think they're going to be a very good playoff team next year. I think they're going to be, like, a four or a five seed in the regular season. Because I think there's going to be a lot of things to figure out between him and Durant or him and Irving that are going to cost them games early in the season. And having a rookie head coach is not going to help on that front. Well, I mean, it is Steve Nash. I mean, it is one of the all-time floor generals. Who, and he, I mean, I think most importantly, he got the stamp of approval from the, from the, the Brooklyn Stars, which is apparently the most important thing there. But I, I, I do think that the Durant that you are, you know, positing on here – I think for the 82-game season, you're right. I think they need him to be almost a little bit of Draymond. I wouldn't say LeBron, but a little bit. Of, like, he's got to defend. He's got to be that rim protector. He's got to lead that defense. Um, you don't know how long you're going to play Jared Allen. Um, <laughs> you don't know if DeAndre Jordan's going to get forced to play. He's got to be a defensive playmaker, and he's probably got to facilitate. But I think come the playoffs, go get a bucket from anywhere you can get a bucket was just so evident this year. I feel like KD is the best option in the league. And even LeBron, you know, the, uh, there were stretches where I, I want to say game two against uh, Miami where he hit three threes in a row. And he was, you know, mostly unguarded. I mean, unchallenged on all of them. And he hit them and you were like, okay, when LeBron's hitting, that's, that's a great thing. But you didn't feel – every time LeBron throws up a three, you feel like iffy about it. You feel eh. And even when he hesitates and he goes left and you know he wants it five seconds before he shoots it, you're still always, you know, could go, could not go. KD's not like that. Every time KD shoots, I think it's going in. Well, the PPP on LeBron threes is always way lower than it looks like because once he makes two, you know that he's taking seven. Like once yeah. he starts to feel himself, you know he's going to throw up the two or three bad ones later on. Uh, as far as the Durant thing goes, like I think you're clearly right. Like if you need one bucket, he's the guy that you go to. But I find the Draymond comparison funny because like the thing that we wanted more than anything when he was in Golden State was a true Curry-Durant pick-and-roll, and we just never got it. Like, Durant doesn't scream. He slips. Like, that's what he does. I think it would be so delightfully spiteful and funny if he started legitimately screening and, you know, being the short-roll playmaker like Draymond is in Golden State just because he's with Kyrie, and, you know, it'll make Kyrie look better if they succeed with that play. But, you know, I see a lot of Nets people talking about, oh, the Durant-Irving combination. It's going to be so unstoppable on pick-and-roll and pick-and-pop. I'm not convinced that's true because Kevin Durant doesn't screen. And that's one of those little things, right? Like, I think there are holes in Durant's game that are very, very minor that don't show up when he's on the best team of all time, but maybe mean more when he's coming off of a torn Achilles and he's playing with kind of a mortal team, like a very good team, I think, but a mortal one and with a co-star in Irving that is, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, flawed, like an acquired taste, temperamental, <laughs> Sure, like, you know what? I think that there, there's a very good chance that we're 10 games into the season 
and Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant again. We're just like, oh crap! Like you're right. But Man, I really, I, think I really hope really he is. That team is. I hope he is too. I it think be, the most fun outcome. So sad. Year, yeah. The most fun but, outcome next year is we go into the playoffs and everybody's healthy because, like, almost for the first time, Giannis is the one exception here. Maybe, but for the first time and maybe forever, we could go into the playoffs next year and say every superstar has their team. Like they've picked their guys. Everywhere is everyone is where they want to be. Let's see who was right. So if Durant is healthy and that's the Nets true. are what that's they cool. think they could be, then I think we'll have a really cool playoffs in that like not only do we get to see who the best team is, we kind of get to see who the smartest superstar is, which I'm really excited for. And I think there's a very good chance that if he is healthy, like we kind of look at the Nets and we're midway through the season, it's like, holy crap, they're 38-9, and nine. they're incredible. But I think there is a very real chance that doesn't exist for the Celtics or the Heat or the Bucks that like, we're forty games into the season and they're twenty-two and eighteen. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's a good. T- that's a nice tick, though. Of, uh, every, every star kind of picked where they wanted to be. I'll tell you though, if if KD buys in and and Kyrie has his head on straight, and I mean, there's an interesting you know a look into like how much their friendship matters. Um, you know, kind of building on your point, they wanted to play together. They are both temperamental. They have both had their you know blowouts with teammates and the media and not wanting to be there. You know, I, I hope that counts for something. I hope the fact that they've committed to Brooklyn to each other, like, helps when, you know, they do have their bumps in the road. Because I watched a lot of Jason Terry, Dirk Nowitzki pick and roll, pick and pop back in my day. And, uh, man, Kyrie and KD is, like, the steroids version of that if they ever figure it out. It would be ridiculous. So we talk a lot about how well LeBron and Anthony Davis fit together as a star duo. And what I'm just sort of wondering is I think we traditionally say that Kyrie and Durant don't really fit together. There's a lot of skill overlap there. Just something that I'm curious and thinking about right now, who would you say would be the perfect star teammate for each of them, right? Like who is the superstar for each of those two guys that optimizes them? I I think if Kevin Durant had had Chris Paul instead of Russell Westbrook, the Thunder have not just one, but multiple championships. I can agree with that. Yeah. I think I think Chris Paul not not only you know is he just a little bit of a, of a smarter point guard and more successful two way player, um, I think Chris Paul's a little bit more in tune with what KD would have needed to do, or what what KD would have wanted as a scorer than Russ is with sort of like the reckless I'll hit you but it's on you know my terms you know flying out of the key of because the double came you know what I mean I, I think the tactical. I don't know, general skills that Paul would have brought would have really elevated that Thunder team, would have given KD a lot of what he wanted. I think Chris Paul would have yelled at him too, which I think like at this stage in Kevin Durant's career, you can't do because he's yeah. Kevin Durant. We saw this. But when he's younger right? and Paul was already star, it would have worked. Exactly. Like I think he would have gotten – Kevin Durant does not have many bad habits. Like let me make that clear. Kevin Durant is, other than LeBron, probably as close to a flawless basketball player as exists. But I think there are little things that Chris Paul – like. If Chris Paul was his teammate, I guarantee you he'd be setting better screens. Like, I think that's probably a given. As far as Kyrie goes, and this is going to maybe salt the wound for Celtics fans a little bit, I think the perfect teammate is Anthony Davis. Because you cover for him defensively. You can space the floor a bit for him when he's doing his ISO stuff. You can run more pick and roll. And, like, Kyrie is not much of a passer, but the lobs to AD are so easy and so available. I think that probably would be the best Kyrie fit. But he's never really played with a superstar big man. I guess Kevin Love, but Kevin Love is not like Kevin Love has no. his benefits, but he's not like that kind of player. No, he's not. He's not a generational type player. I mean, and neither had Braun until AD. 
I mean, it, like no disrespect to Chris Bosch or Kevin Love, who are both very, very good players, but neither one of them could do the things, you know, either athletically or from an all-around skill standpoint that Anthony Davis can. I think you I mean, can say that Anthony Davis is the best possible version of Chris Bosch. Like, I think the skill sets are, like, broadly very, broadly pretty similar, but Anthony Davis is so much more talented that, like, you know, LeBron clearly like, has an archetype that he likes out of his big men, where he clearly likes the big men that can shoot a little bit and can move around defensively. Now, he likes the lobs, too, and Anthony Davis has that element as well. But I think broadly you can kind of say if Chris Bosh had been, like, 30% better, I think that's maybe what AD is. See, and, like, I hope Jabari doesn't get this far in the podcast and listen to it because I don't want to give Anthony Davis any more clout than he already has. But I, I honestly felt, like, a while back that AD kind of he, – he's somewhere in between Dirk and KG. Like, And when I say that, he has all the skill in the world offensively. He has the ability to, to find that touch from range, but he can close ground all over the court defensively. And I, it's not that all of the comparisons are fun and stuff, and people were like, oh, maybe he's the greatest power forwarder ever – cool your jets but like if you watch anthony davis you can see it like from a talent perspective he absolutely has a chance to be in that top 10 15 conversation you know should the the winning continue and the you know he has a few awards down the line what do you think he has to do to get to duncan because i think right now he's probably on a trajectory that takes him pretty close to kg like i'd say if if the lakers win one more title or compete for titles for the next couple of years. He doesn't win an MVP, but is in the conversation pretty consistently. I think that takes him around to where KG is. I don't really view a world in which he gets to Duncan unless he wins a title without LeBron and without a LeBron type of player. Like he can win with another all-star. Like if he wins with the 12th best player in the league and they win a title together after LeBron leaves, then maybe you can kind of start to talk about Duncan, but I think there's been a lot of Tim Duncan slander on Twitter lately. I don't want to say slander, but like a lot of people have forgotten like the things this guy did. He beat or Kobe didn't and watch Shaq him, in, like, right? Or just didn't watch Kobe, him, like yeah. He beat Kobe and Shaq in '03 without another star teammate. Like people don't appreciate how wild that is. He had what was it? Like what was it's a what tad disrespectful. It's a tad disrespectful 20. to Manu Ginobili, who was well, not I mean, yet in '03. He wasn't yeah. there yet. Oh, but true. '05 was the he had, yeah. yeah. He had 22, 10, 10, and 8 in a clinching game. Whatever it was against the Nets, he had that wild, wild game six. Like, Tim Duncan is one of the 10 best players ever with a bullet. Like, there's no arguing that. And AD has the talent to get there. I I would say the odds are significantly lower than 50% that he does. I, here, here's my thing. I, I would want... And I, I don't think maybe you're far off, depending on where you have KG. Like, I don't know, do you have a 25-ish range? Is that what Oh, no, thinking? no, I'm way closer to 15. You have him closer to 15, okay. I don't think he's going to get there unless he wins post-Bron. Like, if, let's say the Lakers win again next year. They repeat. Still don't think he's there. Bron goes to New York to play with the Sun or Chris Paul or whatever, and he wins another one, or he wins like an MVP Defensive Player of the Year sort of thing on a very good team post-Bron. I think that's that's the sort of resume that he needs to get to that top twenty conversation. I you I think I can he's see win it. Defensive player of the year next year, right? Like I think that feels pretty comfortable. Like the voters I, are going to be behind him after these playoffs. If he is as good as he was this season with the Giannis backlash, I think he's going to win it next year. I, I think he could, yeah, for sure. I think he could win an MVP too. Like nothing is out of his reach. It's just 
how much give and take is there between him and Braun? How long does Braun hold up? What else did the Lakers do in 2021? Um, you know, lots of variables. But yeah, I, I think safely he'll be in the top 30, 35 range just doing what he's doing. I think he's, he's got to be a little higher than that. Like, we'll I mean, see. right now, where do you have Dwayne Wade? And where do you have Scottie Pippen? Because I think those are two pretty in- instructive examples. I have both of them in the top 30. And I feel pretty comfortable saying the Anthony Davis we saw in this playoff run was better than, definitely better than Pippen ever was. I, I think better than Wade ever was with LeBron. For 06 sure Wade than, is where yeah. I'm kind of... 06, 06 Wade versus 20 Davis is... Well, that's even tough. 09 Wade was probably yeah. better than, than current age. 09 but, Wade is the best shooting guard season anybody but Michael Jordan has ever had. It was, I would he, say. he was insane. And you, a two-way player, all of it. But, like, I think with, without a doubt, man, without a doubt, this AD is better than any season of Kyrie that Braun had, any season of Wade that Braun had. This is the best season LeBron had a team from a teammate for sure, without a doubt. They were 1A, 1B. And I always, you know, piss off Lakers fans by saying that Powell and Kobe were 1A, 1B. At one point, Braun and AD were, were definitely, without a doubt, 1A, 1B. Powell should have been finals MVP in 2010, like if we're going to go that route. <laughs> I, I didn't I mean, say it today. I might have said it on the timeline pass, but, but Quinn was the one who said it today, man. Yeah, um, come at me, Lakers fans. Yeah. Oh, they will. They yeah. the, No, and people think that there's Kobe disrespect in there. It's not. It's power respect. Like, how was is, genuinely yes. that good? And by the 2010 finals, like, he was certainly a top 10 player, I'd say. Probably higher. Um, I want to go back to KG for a second, just out of curiosity. I feel like the fact that Paul Pierce won finals MVP that year really distorted how good Kevin Kevin Garnett was that year. Like that whole team, their whole identity was defense and it really, it really sort distorted of manic him. energy. And it, we've kind of just forgotten that. And we just assume, oh, KG was the sidekick to Paul Pierce. No, I was it, there for that title. KG was the best player on that team. K, KG was the best player on that team. Ray Allen was the best player in that finals. And that finals MVP certainly distorted how Paul Pierce and the world viewed Paul Pierce after that because... Man, he he is the third most interesting, third best player on that Celtics team. I don't care, man. Like it's Kevin one Garnett is one. It's one of the most historically damaging player. Finals MVPs ever. Like I think oh. the two that come to mind are Iguodala in '15 and Pierce in '08, where you just feel like any sensible person could go back and say, number one, this was wrong. Number two, this has impacted the discourse in a really unhealthy way. Where like. If you don't want to give it to a losing player, and I would have given 15 to LeBron, okay, I get that. Then Stephen Curry is the Finals MVP, pretty comfortably. But but I but don't think 20. That, oh, go on. I don't think that 2015 is actually damaging because it's 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 like trolling. Like people throw it in Curry's face, but it's not serious. Like I don't think people actually are like Curry's a lesser player because Iguodala won the Finals MVP. I think that's mostly a bit. Am I wrong on that? I think there are people that genuinely say like. And I now I'll also say this: I wonder if voters knew what was going to come next, if they might have changed their votes, because I think there was probably a sentiment that <laughs> oh, the Warriors are going to be here forever, and Curry is going to get several. But then Durant comes, and obviously Durant wins the two. I wonder if voters had known what was going to come next, if they would have said, okay, let's maybe forget the narrative a little bit and just be honest with ourselves about how great Stephen Curry is, and maybe give it to him. Now again, I would have given it to LeBron. I understand there are people who say I can't give it to a losing player, and if that's their philosophy, that's fine. It's just I think there's no way you can look at that series and say 
Andre Iguodala provided more value to the Warriors than Stephen Curry did. Like, he played a flashier role in that he guarded LeBron, but, like, how much of Golden State's offense relies on the gravity that Curry has, even then, even before Durant? Almost all of it, especially before Durant. So I just, I felt like it was very disingenuous at the time, and I think there was sort of an undercurrent of, like, oh, we really like Iguodala. Oh, you know, he's, he's good to the media. We like him. He's a very smart guy. Like, he deserves this. Like, you know, he took on the assignment of LeBron. He came off the bench all year. I think there was narrative involved in that, and it's kind of disappointing. I don't know, man. Like, I, you know, Kyrie goes down game one. Love's out. LeBron is putting up, like, 40 points a game. Andre Iguodala comes in, makes him work. LeBron is still putting up numbers, but they're not efficient, and he's having to work way harder. And then, like, it's game six, and I'm a little hazy, but game six, like... They were not even guarding Andre Iguodala just above the free throw line. He knocked like four or five of those in. They basically dared him to beat them at both ends. And he, and he I don't want to say he beat them, but he stepped up. And I, I thought it was feasible. Like I, I, And again, I did not think it would have the impact or I did not think it would be the running joke that it's been because I did, how could we know that Kevin Durant was coming to the Warriors? But it certainly, I, I didn't think it was that outlandish at the time, to be honest. I mean, I, I personally, I just look at it and say, I, I don't know how it's not LeBron. Like, I, I think the losing thing is just... Yeah, that's how I feel. It's sort of unfair given the given the circumstances LeBron was playing through. Like, Matthew Della Vadova was somebody that the casual NBA fan had not heard of entering that series. And LeBron nearly dragged that guy to a title. Like, well, yeah. It, like, it's a, we're, it's on, we're on the same page. We're yeah, same it's page. unfortunate that so many of LeBron's, like, wildest feats came in losses... Because yeah. if you really just look at how wild – like, the 2018 game is another example of, like, I think that's the single best game that I've ever seen anybody play. It just happened to come in a loss, which ruined it. Well, yeah. I, I mean, even this year with Danny Green and Markeith Morris, I got, like, flashbacks of George Hill and J.R. Smith. It, it, it has felt like many times LeBron's laid it all on the, on the line and he's had just had the lesser team. And it was what it was. I mean, that's how it goes sometimes. That's why his, you know, his whole story is so much more complicated because it just didn't come together. He didn't have a Scotty Pippen from the jump, and the team wasn't ready to contend. But um, so that's actually a really interesting point, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Put how you feel about them as players aside. Who do you think has the more interesting story between Michael Jordan and LeBron? LeBron. LeBron, for sure. I, I agree with that. I think yeah. there's a cleanliness to Le- to Jordan's story where it's like he loses to the Pistons, loses to the Pistons, loses to the Pistons, and then it's just clean from there. He just he eviscerates everybody. I think there's a human quality to LeBron's story, a flaw that I think is way more relatable that a lot of people probably connect to and that, frankly, I connect to. Like Him going back to Cleveland means something in a way that nothing Michael Jordan did ever could. I think that the loss to Dallas is relatable. Like we've all felt this overwhelming pressure and on some level, like not on an NBA final stage, we've all felt just totally beaten in by the pressures of other people and have collapsed on some level in that same sense. Like LeBron genuinely had to overcome things on his own. Whereas with Michael Jordan, it was just kind of the traditional path of a superstar where it's like your team isn't good enough until it is. And then it is for a while. And his teams granted were better for a long, long time. And for almost a decade, like, the Bulls were just, they were inevitable in the way that LeBron's teams maybe weren't. I find it to be a much more interesting and more human story, though. The way LeBron had to kind of struggle and, you know, keeps getting knocked down and then dragging himself back up. 
and taking his career into his own hands in a way that Jordan never really needed to. I wrote a story uh, following 2016, and I remember I was basically saying I'm going to make the case for why LeBron's the greatest player of all time, and I'm going to tell you the three reasons why you're not going to believe it. And one of those reasons was just that the Jordan story was cleaner, it was easier to follow, and fans weren't going to get off that nicely paved road to, you know, trailblaze and, and really take the time to see, you know, where LeBron's own trail had gone and, and how, you know, if you can follow the dots, it's a more impressive story. And, you know, some people were offended at that, saying I was saying, like, Jordan fans were simpler. That's not even really it. I just think when you're talking about, like, the average fan who's consuming this at, you know, a much smaller level than you and I, uh, you know, 6-0 and in the finals and the overcoming the odds early on and, and, and staying in one place, it is. It's just a cleaner-cut movie. You know, I, I 100% agree with that. But I will say, like, I have never once blamed LeBron for the team jumping. And I think you've touched on this in that if Michael Jordan had the team jump, maybe he would have. But he never did because his team happened to pick Scottie Pippen and hire Phil Jackson and bring in all the role players. But I will say this. You've mentioned the story that you wrote after the 2016 championship. I was just talking with somebody about this today. The headline of the story that I wrote the day after Game 7, the 2016 Finals, was literally just, LeBron can leave Cleveland now. I was the first person on that, and I take full credit for that. But I think it speaks to a certain inevitability where we know what LeBron's about. Like, LeBron is the most calculating player in NBA history, and he, we all knew. Once he got the Cleveland title, now he is free to do what he wants, sure. and he will stay in Cleveland only as long as it makes sense for him. Like, I think there is something to this idea that, like, I don't want to say that he's sacking the deck because I don't blame him for team jumping. He's only ever left teams when he's needed to leave teams. But I do sort of wonder if the fact that we knew it was coming in advance all of those times, maybe if that takes it just a little bit. I mean, I, I know you got to get back to work, man. I don't take too much longer of your time, but we could do a whole other pod on LeBron and Jordan, and maybe we should, because there's there's a whole bunch of layers to this conversation where, like, Jordan never had to, but also, you know, Jerry Cross is going to move Pippen, and, and Jordan said, fuck no. So, I mean, th- for we could do a whole last dance on the Dan Gilbert-LeBron James relationship, and I'm sure it'll come. But One horse pe- is going to write a book about that someday, yeah. I would assume. But pe- pe- people were so... Um, um, like embedded with this last dance story and I, I feel like if you wanna really go at it from both sides we could go all day for sure. <clears throat> um Sam man, it's been a blast having you on. I really appreciate the time dude. Um I know we're up against it, but you can find Quinn at Sam Quinn Q U I N N C B S on Twitter. Um thanks again man, really appreciate it. I can't believe it took us a decade of online interactions to finally do this, but this was a blast. <laughs> Yeah, man, we're, we're coming up on, like, 15 years here. You know, we're, we're probably PSDL decade team. And I'm sure, like, none of the, nothing that we talked about we planned to. It just kind of happened. No, I have a whole I list of it. questions, and I got to two of them. But that, we'll that's the best We'll do a round pause, two man. later on. Yeah, so, sounds good, brother. Appreciate it. All right, talk to you later. Take care. If you haven't yet, please like, rate, subscribe, review the podcast. Uh, Jabari and I will be back on Sunday. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not beat a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. 
From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season's opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. <laughs> 